0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
1: Hi, y'all. It's Amir Yasai with the Take On for the Broadway Podcast Network. I am so excited to get this off the ground. The Take On for the Broadway Podcast Network. And of course, my first guest, so lucky, we have Jay Rodriguez. How are you, sweetheart? Hi, thanks for having me on of course um thank you for being the first um i'm so lucky to have you um if you don't know jay rodriguez you've been living under a rock um (laughs) jay has literally (laughs) jay is the hardest working person in entertainment let me tell you this um you know radio host was on the original queer eye was in rent on broadway stunning so many amazing shows you've been on guest stars on like a million things you're literally always working even in quarantine you're what are you having a show six nights like, a week? Yeah, right?
0: actually I do, I do. Well, now our new normal um, is you know performing at home. You know many of us mm-hmm. uh, are here in California as sort of gig employees. Um, like you said, I have a pretty diverse career, but I'm um, not having a stable uh, job and not necessarily having like something locked down that's consistent. I'm basically an, essentially a gig worker, and I jump if I'm lucky a couple TV spots a year, which obviously aren't enough to sustain an annual any kind of reasonable income. So you kind of like mm-hmm. have to really diversify. That with cabaret shows and speaking engagements, all of which have really gone away. And as we, many of us, are, are waiting to see if we can get our uh, gig worker unemployment, I've been waiting a month and haven't heard back yet to keep checking in. So we're just wow. performing from our, I'm performing uh, from my, literally my kitchen every Thursday. Um, <laughs> I do, uh, I do uh, uh, an at home cabaret show with a virtual tip jar for those who are able to and. Uh, can give, and if not, it's just my way as a performer to uplift d- during these really hard times. You know,
1: that's amazing. I mean, I think a lot of people, I'm sure that are even listening, can relate to being, you know, a gig worker. And a lot of our, you know, freelance jobs have kind of gone the wayside. And you know, with Broadway being dark, I'm sure it's, you know, it's hard for people to kind of get out there. But I think people are being creative, you know, on TikTok and et cetera. So, how have you been? other than your shows, um, being kind of creatively, you know, engaged?
0: Yeah, um, well, to be honest, like kind of saying yes to uh, participating in other friends' creativity as well. It's been really helpful to um, be a part of not just Um, what I'm putting out in terms of like quote unquote content but really just um, being able to have thoughtful conversations with people like you. Um, Mm -hmm. I've done some spots for um, the radio.com streaming show um, We're Listening um, and Loveline and just kind of been able to Mm -hmm. um, have these conversations have Instagram conversations and while you know that might not be massive on a uh, on a a huge spectrum in that space these micro kind of uh, things that are helpful to the community that's listening listening have been really impactful in starting thoughtful conversations about issues that really matter
1: absolutely I think it's it's funny because like I think before quarantine for me it was always about perfection and in the studio and a producer and it seems like with quarantine that's kind of gone away and people are you know being creative they're putting up you know a sheet and they're dancing and then people are they're, they're getting like a million views and it's like it's like something I think before, that the
0: youtubers yeah. knew all about all along mm-hmm. and many of us mm-hmm. that work in in different you know like you said those sort of fancier spaces right. I never even thought of it because I was like oh that's pro- I, I mean I what would I even do and so it's really kind of of broadened, um, just my creativity and how I could align that with my own kind of belief system and, and, and just help to kind of make the creative content impactful and, and meaningful and something that, you know, post Corona or, uh, post this time that, you know, I'll feel proud of that I was using this creativity
1: in a thoughtful way absolutely and i think it, and i love that you said it in a thoughtful way because i think it's a it's like being people are being a lot more intentional with what they're creating and they're they're also like i said that perfection's kind of gone away and and i'm just curious like with your own career as well like on broadway like you know starting off at rent at such a young age um do you think that like it was because you were so young that actually helped you to not be so in your head about stuff or yeah you know do you i feel had like a really
0: awesome? blessed um beginning of my career. And I, and I, and that it's not to say that it wasn't through hard work, um, and discipline mm-hmm. that I often reflect back on because I was 18 right out of high school, youngest person ever cast in a leading role in rent. Uh, they sent me, wow. I, you know, auditioned in New York. They sent me to Toronto to open the first international company. And then I came after a year of doing that show and it closed, we came to, to the Broadway cast. Um, and, uh, and when I was 19, I got moved up to the role of Angel. And, um, and then, but shortly after that, I left Rent after five years and did an off-Broadway musical that kind of became a cult uh, hit. And, and it's funny because a lot of people will message me, screen grabs of them listening to um, uh, music from this off-Broadway musical I did called Xana Don't, um, which mm-hmm. really, it, it was, yeah, it's amazing. I played this musical matchmaking fairy in a world where being gay was normal and being straight was odd. And the, in this play mm. we're in high school and we decided in this uh, show, we, we decided to do a play the theater club in high mm. school on whether or not mm. heterosexuals should be allowed in the military in the process <laughs> of meeting guy and girl fall in love, which in this uh-huh. world is taboo. And I use my magical mm-hmm. powers making it okay for them to go to prom together and um, in the process I lose my powers and the world becomes straight except for me. Um, and it was in 2003, the album became a cult classic and the show was done all over the world and still continues to be done all over the world. But it was mm-hmm. a blessing to be a part mm-hmm. of something uh, like Rent that was um, starting a dialogue that hadn't yet been had about HIV AIDS and, and and the crisis at that time through music that was really catchy and earwormy um and was kind of you know having this really subversive message de- delivered about inclusivity um and education through the music and then Don again kind of like tackling the kind of subtext there that was really kind of overt of what the shape of the world would look like if things were reversed and how that would make people feel and then from there um i got rant i'm sorry queer i I was literally doing Mm -hmm. Queer Eye from 6 a.m. to whenever we'd rap and racing to the theater to do (laughs) Xana Don't at night all Mm -hmm. on the same day. Now listen. At 40, I don't think I could do that now. Uh, I don't Mm -hmm. have the endurance. But at the time, I didn't know any better. And I'm just thankful, you know, because when I was 20, I did a play um, opposite Stephen Pasquale, who many people know from his extensive Broadway career. Um, But he just did a a movie and after the play he did called uh, American Son. And Mm -hmm. we did a play in 2000 at the Lincoln Center Theater called Spinning Into Butter. And it was about racism on a college campus. And it was opposite Mm -hmm. Hope Davis, who is a big film actor. TV actress, and um, it was so culturally impactful. So I really had a really big, get a really great, blessed career to be part of shows that started dialogues around issues that at the time people were tiptoeing around.
1: Absolutely. And it seems like all of those, you know, um, from rent th- that's been done in so many iterations and then obviously Zana don't, it almost sounds like Love, Simon in some ways where mm-hmm. it's kind of like taking this idea of like, you're coming out to your family as straight. Um, it, it's really interesting that you've kind of tackled some of these issues. I really want to talk about spinning into butter because obviously, yeah. you know, there, there's a lot of we're in a very interesting time with, you know, BLM and um, what's going on on campuses. There was a whole thing about arresting a girl who, um, you know, got in an altercation with someone who had an All, all Lives Matter um, poster on a college campus recently. Um, so there's a there's a lot of, you know, things going on with this all lives matter thing. Yeah. So I'm just curious, how did the the Broadway play Spinning into Butter tackle racism specifically?
0: Yeah, so it's basically I play a college student, a freshman, who um Hope Davis, who plays uh you know, she's sort of uh, you know, the uh, one of the educators there and she's responsible for giving out scholarships and grants, and she tries to get me a grant to be helpful. And she's mm-hmm. a, a white woman and um, she's asking, she's going down the list of things and I'm so excited. I'm getting this scholarship and grant. And then she says, okay, ethnicity. I see here that you put down, um, uh, or she, she was asking me Hispanic. Uh, and I said, no, that doesn't, that's not what I am. They said, have a Latino. And mm-hmm. I was like, no, I'm not from Latin America. <laughs> I'm actually New York. Mm-hmm. And we get into this big battle about um, the way I, uh, my culture and 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 how I felt best to describe who I am uh for this and she was Mm -hmm. like yeah but they're not gonna get that so I feel like can we just put you know like whatever and she's trying to negotiate with me and so my character um writes a piece in the school paper that causes a bit of an uprise and Mm -hmm. um And through the course of my journey, which ends uh, in a very, very uh, pivotal scene, which closes act one, this teacher, educator, dean of students has to, um, I can't remember her title, uh, but, um, but she has to face her own inner demons and in the process of it. Boy, is it graphically explicit that she breaks Mm -hmm. down. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker came to closing night, and she ended up um, buying rights to the movie and making the movie and starring in that role Mm -hmm. herself. And she Mm -hmm. talks about how you know her 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 racism. She she's confronting it during the course of this play. And um, and what is shocking, she kind of goes through like she she's going through this really painful time of, of of figuring it all out. And even to subway. Uh, seating selection. First, she starts with a white woman and then if a white woman's not available. Next to the white man. And then mm-hmm. always last is a black man. And she works mm-hmm. down why. And it's just like, there's these really powerful conversations that um, that I, I think weren't had at that time and are still mm-hmm. not had today. And that piece was done mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Um, it was written by a woman named Re- Rebecca Gilman. And I was so proud mm-hmm. of her, this white woman to um, have this kind of honest character really uh face these these really tricky difficult feelings and put them uh, on the page and have them delivered so beautifully. Uh, Spike Lee came to close it. I think it was opening night rather. And I had a Mm -hmm. really um, profound conversation with him. And I think first, you know, once I got past my, um, my own, you know, being starstruck by him um, the kind of conversations I had with him uh, around this role and then, and the necessary um, dialogue that needed to begin uh, um, in the Broadway space, I'll never forget Um, so much of it that we look at, you know, people ask, why are you not going back? Why have you not gone back to New York? Why are you, why are Mm. you not, um, you know, doing more Broadway? There's just not the roles to be honest, like outside of Hamilton, Mm. it's really tricky to get cast in, a role, a leading role, a supporting leading role that would make the move back to New York, uh, any kind Worth of uh, thing that I think could sustain life, to be honest. And mm-hmm. and so I just mm-hmm. moved to Los Angeles and, and, and started creating possibilities here. But that even certainly wasn't um, – wasn't easy. Um, so for me spinning into butter was, uh, you know, especially at Lincoln center where you have this description audience, um, of most uh, primarily older, uh, white folks who, you know, had Mm. to have this, this sort of, theatrical version of what they might be experiencing um, safely delivered to them. And while these conversations Mm. often don't feel safe, it's through that kind of anxiety that these um, words may build in some folks that really affects real change. Because even if you can imagine just having an argument with your partner or whoever you're with, and when they say Mm -hmm. something that strikes too close to home to you, you immediately Mm -hmm. puff up and you get defensive. (laughs) <laughs> and I think for many of the audience, that was a, a initial knee jerk response. But I'd like to believe Absolutely. that um, the broader picture was it, it started a, a conversation within themselves, you know, where those quiet moments when your head hits the pillow and you start examining um, your life, you know, and um, and how and kind of what
1: I've do done today and yeah. How, yeah. how I've interacted with people, right? A lot of us don't can... do that.
0: Yeah, right. Know? And so, so for me that. In hindsight, now twenty years later, actually, almost Ooh. exactly, <clears throat> it was. Um, it's remarkable to think that um, I was I was given that opportunity. It was also the first time, to be honest, I felt validated as an actor in Rent. You know, the character Ooh. was Latinx. The character was a drag queen. Let's face it. I look pretty in drag. Um, I'll never, I'll never do drag because I, I honestly can't, I'm, I'm just not as, you know, I mean, I, I'd have to be a political queen or a singing queen or something like that, or a comedy queen, but, um, but I, I
1: think I'll, it'd be too much to tuck, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> that too.
1: It would be, be a meaty tuck, as the kids say, but more yes.
0: importantly, I feel like, um, I felt validated that it could take strip away the music and
1: still be a storyteller through that process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that can be really empowering. And I think what you said about spinning into butter that really resonated with me is a lot of the conversations now, a lot of people are quick to jump up and their knee-jerk reaction is, I'm not a racist. But I think it's owning your racist tendencies and, like you said, doing that internal work. Mm -hmm. We all have those preconceived notions from either childhood or experience or whatever that are incorrect and we have to work through those. So I love that you kind of said that. And it, the image, you know, spinning into butter is a very kind of traumatic and kind of crazy moment with the way butter gets spun together. And I think racism is the same way it gets really convoluted in our minds and it becomes like these facts. Yeah. And the, it was and after the, you, the, you know, the, yeah. the, uh,
0: the little black Sambo kind of, uh, that, mm-hmm. that old sort of, um, I believe was a story, a poem, but it was, uh, it, it was sort of, a uh, pulled from kind of that uh, inspiration, which is the language used um, in that piece. And, you know, mm. Broadway is, has a long history of tackling some of these tricky topics, um, whether it's ragtime or even Avenue Q, dealing it with, uh, mm. with it through comedy uh, with that hit song, everyone's a little bit racist sometimes. <laughs> um, doesn't mean you go around committing hate crimes. Um, and so acknowledging that we all have a layer of bias, whether it is about mm. whether it's about gender expression, whether it's about our skin color. Mm -hmm. Um, And and by the way, I think, you know, this moment in history, um, we're having an awakening to our own silence about things that, you know, were too scary. I think, you know, when I was doing Mm -hmm. Clear Eye, there were certain things who just, you know, people were really scared to talk about, because it didn't impact them, it didn't affect them directly. And, and there were networks and, and producers that would often silence folks from speaking out in a way that would have alienated listeners, watchers, however you want to phrase it. And I think mm-hmm. that you know the real movement and change happens when we're okay to sit in our own anxiety around things that make us uncomfortable and help us you know, be better people by growing and listening to the cries of marginalized humans, um, mm-hmm. uh, however that takes form.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's, I think a lot of what people are doing that's incorrect right now, and I'm specifically speaking to people that are non Black, is that they're sitting there going, why are they doing this? What's happening? What the why? I think looking for the why is what is the biggest problem with people right now reacting to the, you know, Black Lives Matter movement. It's not about the why, it's about the how we got here. Like there are a lot of categoric things that have happened. Two people. And, you know, you being Latinx, me being Persian, we've also had our own, you know, racist tendencies. I've had, I've been in rooms and they're like, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, my parents are from Iran. And all of a sudden the whole room shifts. And, you know, that's happened before, you know, those microaggressions, those micro- racial moments um and i think people are now being a lot more direct with it and actually um you brought this to my attention um shelly williams who's a director who directed aida on well, broadway uh, Well, she uh, was uh, in aida
0: but she directed my she uh, one-man show called exposed but okay. she's also about to mm-hmm. she was about to sorry i stand correct she was about to direct the newest um reboot of aida um mm-hmm. and and then coronavirus happened sure. yeah so sure. just because I, I i don't know if i said that correctly before
1: but i wanted. to just state that now yeah no so thank you large. yeah no we want to make sure we say the right stuff here Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no you're totally fine and i think that you know she kind of wrote the statement that was quite you know uh, it's a very long statement so i'm going to read all of it but i'm going to read kind of the highlight which is broadway's white broadway values white over black we know this because we have eyes we see who is producing writing composing arranging directing choreographing, casting, designing, promoting, every word we say and every move we make. So I love that because it's like, it's much like, you know, when the Oscars happened, right? Oscars so white. Yeah. And that was just a couple of months ago, right? So I think that entertainment industry always kind of, it reflects what's going on in the world. And I think people were looking and they're like, I'm not seeing myself on the screen, but I'm working, right? Mm-hmm. We have Ava DuVernay, Tyler Perry, et cetera. There's so, Lena Waite, there's so many black creators but we're not seeing the work being reflected yeah and also so I think people are getting frustrated yeah and
0: I think something Sh- Shelly brought up too she was like and white is not bad mm-hmm. um she was just no, no, no. She, she was quite simply saying this is this is what is happening I've been in the business for 30 years this and I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. but she was you know basically highlighting this is the shape of this um and as we Absolutely. and she she referenced you know gap
1: and she of- said white is not black which I love it's like white is not bad but white is not black right it's like you, you have to make that distinction I mean, a lot of times it's like, well, we're not, we're, it's like why people I've heard creators or writers say, oh, well, the, the roles are here, but, but are you creating the opening and the opportunity? Yeah, and listen, I, I, there
0: was a change. profound experience that happened with one of the actresses who ended up playing Alphaba. Um, she had done Rent, mm-hmm. her name is Sakon, and she um, wanted to audition for, for Wicked. And she, mm-hmm. um, she, she wanted to audition, but they said Alphaba is, you know, it, you know, we cast that the white and she's like, but Alphaba is green. So she went to the audition, uh, as the story goes, <laughs> green. <laughs> to prove that and she did, <laughs> she did end up getting the, the role at some point and so and playing Elkaba. Um and so it kind of changed and you know we've seen a lot of this happen there was a um, African American uh, Galinda I believe it was last year um, and so we're seeing a shift and seeing representation uh, in, mm-hmm. in the way that we tell these stories and I think to Shelley's point um, you know there's just not <clears throat> the same kind of opportunity when in many of these stories you know uh, we can take a page from Lin-Manuel and Color black cast and have the story Mm -hmm. be equally effective Um, and so it's Mm -hmm. just about like where we stand on uh, making sure that everyone's story is being told and I mean that in the space of not saying well you know we're checking a uh, a box for diversity we got a couple of you guys is sometimes what it feels like and um, working in television I certainly know that um, you know in the jobs I've had many times you're like five six seven eight um, nine, 10, 11 on the call sheet, meaning that is, that is the number of lines you have. That is the size of your role in comparison to who would be number one on the call sheet. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not, it's just literally about, if you see it, you can be it and inspiring this next generation uh, of people. But we're just now getting to the point where in the past, you know, I would say 15 years of being in the entertainment industry that I've seen, uh, folks really, Mm -hmm. um, uh, fight for the visibility and diversity in cinema on stage. Um, but certainly not enough in the Broadway space where I feel like I'd run back to Broadway mm-hmm. um, for, for a level right. of opportunity that I, I don't at the moment see there for me. Um, but, Absolutely.
1: you know, I, I, i my heart. Where do right you know, think that is Jay? Who are, where do you think that yeah. comes from? Where do you think that comes yeah, from so with I mean, Broadway? With because is it it's supposed to cater to a group of like, maybe from the Midwest, or is this well, supposed to cater to like, like tourists? Yeah, no, so or I think
0: it's, I think it's about the kind of shows that are, that are being made and the storytellers mm-hmm. who allow, who are allowed to be the creatives to tell the stories from casting to choreography to everything. Um, you know, there's a certain kind of fill in the blank diversity that's seemingly acceptable mm-hmm. to some producers. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, Sometimes it does come down to the dollar. And if, like you just said, if they feel that people are not going to buy tickets to the show for years and years and years, uh, if that's their own president without taking a chance uh, on that, that may stall some, some productions from actually seeing the light of day. Um, But The flip side of that is you do have great success stories with multi-ethnic casts, like Rent, like Hamilton and so many others um, who've really embraced this kind of level uh, of diversity in their storytelling and and giving way for inclusivity because audiences really do, especially New York audiences, um, really do embrace that. I think it comes down to the people who are in uh, positions of power, not just making a conscious decision to just sprinkle in some diversity, but making sure that there's opportunity for all people who are qualified for these roles, uh, as opposed to just going by what has been done before always works. So let's continue to do that.
1: Absolutely. I think it's, and and what you're saying is really key because it's like, I think there's this idea of like, people don't want to change, right? Like if you've done something the certain way, you're like, this works, we know these, and we can, there's this idea of like, oh, you know, these entertainers we can control. But then if you have people of color, oh my God, it's going to be like, they get in this mindset that's incorrect. And what I love about Shelly's statement, she also said, if you mean the words in your statements, show us your values, live up to your mission statements. There's a lot of these companies that say things that sound really good, right? Say like, we're all about inclusivity and diversity. And then it's like they do a show and it's 95% white. They have two characters. One's non-binary, one's black. And then they want to, and every article says that, that they ever do an interview with. And I I look to British cinema because British TV has been doing this. They've had Middle Eastern people with hijab 10 years, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. So they've done a really good job and they're not asking for, exci- like they don't want that exciting um what do they call it like they they don't want that attention on it where it seems like in the u.s look how diverse we are look we did never have i ever it's an all indian cast like they want really people to kind of applaud them which is great but it also takes away from the fact that it should be normalized. Yeah. I
0: mean, any, I mean, you know, people who are content creators who've gotten pushback, whether it's women um, saying that women can't lead a comedy movie um, that was dispelled, obviously many times over, but highlighted with the success of bridesmaids, you know, uh, sure. primarily African-American cast uh, can't do a superhero style movie that was dispelled by black Panther, an entirely Asian American uh, or uh, Asian uh centric cast can't be a box office sensation. I think Crazy Rich Asians dispelled that. I think it's about mm-hmm. these small milestones that continue to move things forward and it's about a community that is um, perhaps uh, n- not a person of color, not not other that needs to stand and support um, the inclusive storytelling that so many, and it's, by the way, back in the day I feel like people were like, well they just don't exist there's just not a lot of black writers out there not a lot of black. <laughs> and, and that's just like, you're not giving yeah. people the opportunity and I will say I I want to really commend people who are taking a moment to really try to listen and do better Um, because i think that's Mm -hmm. what's so empowering you know i was at the protests um this week here in los angeles and Mm -hmm. it was phenomenal to see so much inclusivity it was not a black Mm -hmm. issue in terms of like who was there who was present who was showing up it was people Mm -hmm. fighting for um you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, understanding fully um, the disproportionate amount of violence that is uh, oppressed on that community, how long that's been there. And as I looked around, mm-hmm. I was so incredibly um, inspired by the amount of white faces or non-black faces, I should say, and the mm-hmm. youth, the young folks. It gives me hope for the for the, for the future that, um, you know, people mm-hmm. will know, know um, that this moment is happening, that these things cannot be spun. And I just hope that Absolutely. all people who feel Outraged by these kind of injustices will continue to vote in every space they can, whether it is yes. um, for their union reps uh, in theater, whether it is for, um, you know, the, the, the people who are governing us from our mayors to our district attorneys, to our judges, uh, all the way up to the president. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's within our power to Absolutely. let our voice be heard in every space, including when it comes mm-hmm. to Broadway. Um, you have, um, you have uh, power with uh, your words, but also your actions and where you put your dollar.
1: Absolutely. And I think what you're saying is so key because it's a new generation where, you know, I've had friends who have now kind of spoken up against their parents because their parents have said kind of microaggressions towards Black people. And now they're speaking up against it. So I think that there is, and, and you're, listen, when you start building a boundary and start having conversations there's definitely going to be moments of you know resistance you i always say you have to break a couple eggs to make an omelet and i think we're in the process of breaking eggs and we're moving forward and i think what i wanted to ask you about which i think is really important i got a lot of dms of people being like oh blm you know is ruining pride, and I've heard these kind of comments, which are which are really funny to me because pride came out of rioting, and it was black trans think woman. It's
0: generally because uh, some for some folks I see, I'm like, yeah. wow, where where mm-hmm. did you miss? Like, were you just silent or nervous to listen to history? Were you not exposed? Were these not the conversations you mm-hmm. had? Did you were you unaware there was a queer life prior to RuPaul's Drag Race? Were you? <laughs> aware that you know the content you see on Pose is actually based on, his, on history um, I feel fortunate mm-hmm. enough to have had elders um, to teach me about um, my queer history and knew a lot of these things but as I run around um, you know in spaces with people who are a lot younger um, and don't mm-hmm. know these things I'm like it, I, I mean you know a lot of people of color a lot of people who are other a lot of people trans non-binary LGBTQ plus folks um, have felt like I don't want to I'm so exhausted of having to feel like I have to teach these issues to people who um, should have learned it. But then on the flip side, as an elder myself, I will Long well, gay culture. I'm like old, but um, not really old. But <laughs> having been around the scene for it, I mean, it's my uh, 23. I'll be 23 years. Well, uh, October 20th will be my 23 year anniversary in show business. Is the October 20th, 1997 wow. was the first day of my first rehearsal in Rent, and so I've had this long career where I've got to see a lot, work with a lot of people that maybe didn't see eye to eye on the issues that uh, you and I are discussing here, and I understand. Mm. But m- for many of them, uh, the thought of aligning themselves with tricky conversations or breaking those eggs to make an omelet was frightening, was anxiety-inducing. And so instead of saying something, they would say nothing, not knowing that they were quite complicit into the same acts that deep down they likely stood against, but were too scared to speak out. And so the system continues.
1: Hmm. It's. It's. I think it's. It. There's so many people are so worried to say sometimes the wrong right. thing or or. To, like but, but I like think it's important. It. To
0: Make a mistake. Try. Mm-hmm. Be- yeah. You know what I mean? Because. Yeah. Be- and I think to those who I always say this. I grew up born again Christian. Um. Or rather, I wasn't in, in my mm-hmm. high school years and my my folks and new Christians. They would shove Jesus down your throat <laughs> so hard because they were just oh, saved, yeah. right? And so I and, and so they they wanted everyone to see their righteousness and probably deep down for them to have a better life and accept God and the whole thing. But m- nine times out of ten, their messaging was so pointed and heated to people who are like. I do not understand where you are coming from. And so it's a, it's an opportunity for those. If you don't understand to just listen, and if you're going to be delivering messages, you know, I try to, and I, I, I get crap for this all the time to speak to people, um, where they're at. You know, if you can't chew a steak, I'm going to put it in a Vitamix for you so you can eat it, but you still get the same nutrients of the messaging. Um, and that is not to say I condone any language or actions that are ignorant. It's really about my goal in life is to really make sure people receive the messaging in a way uh, that will be effective to cause real change within them. Um, and so a lot of these quote unquote new folks who are, are starting uh, to understand and really capture out, they're shaming people who um, it's a journey for a lot of people who have deep-rooted mm-hmm. bias and haven't had an opportunity to look at, it's not going to be an overnight change for these folks. And you know, le- certainly getting Trump out of office may help a little, but we had eight years of Obama mm-hmm. and we all got very complacent and safe. And and I think mm-hmm. the, the the mistake was we thought that a lot of these bias and ignorances, whether it was against LGBT people or people of color, you name it, um, that they had mm-hmm. gone away. And they've just been muted for a while. And no. now those feelings, thoughts, and issues have been giving a platform uh, that it's okay to share uh, this kind of level of hatred. And let's go back to All Lives Matter for a moment because you began with that. And I want to speak to that really quickly. Sure. I always mm-hmm. unpack it like this if I only have a couple sentences to say it in. I say, listen, yes, mm-hmm. we grew up learning that all lives should matter equally. But Mm -hmm. if you pay attention and you listen to the cries uh, of folks who it's not really worked out that way for, and if you look at the statistics, Mm -hmm. and if you actually look and listen to what's been actually happening, you will see and understand that all lives at this moment in history, and for many years, has not been the same. All Mm -hmm. lives have not mattered the same. So the reminder, quite simply, is uh, the understood language is all lives should matter. Yes, they should. However, the Mm -hmm. reminder that is needed because people have seemingly forgot is quite simply black lives matter because folks aren't behaving or actually it's too scary or dangerous to look at, um, you know, uh, what is actually happening to, to black folks, whether it, it is, and, and, and let's go back to just whether it's not having opportunities for employment in spaces that they choose to right. be working in all the way up to violence and everything that falls in between, you know? So, so that's my thing Absolutely. about that topic. And, and I know the people who say this to me, um, On a regular basis, Um, I know that they're trying to come from a place of love and they're fearful of the judgment of, yeah, but I didn't do that. I didn't, but that was a long time ago. I didn't, I didn't, I I didn't do that. And I think this, the, the nuance that they're missing is I'm not. Judging, blaming you for uh, for the overt oppression of Black lives, but can we talk about the the microaggressions and just how it comes out, and how you might not even know how some of your actions and mm-hmm. or words. All of our actions or words might be oppressing someone in some space. And so it's about listening and having those conversations, yes. even when they're hard, even when right now we're having this conversation right now, you and I, there mm-hmm. are people that during this conversation uh, may feel triggered, may feel anxious, may feel angry. Yes. Uh, and that's okay to mm-hmm. feel those things. I think not allowing yourself mm-hmm. to feel those things and just immediately shutting something off um, is, mm-hmm. is, is not getting us anywhere.
1: Absolutely. You have to listen, you have to grow. Right. It's like if if you're working out in the gym, you're ripping muscle. And I think a lot of what we learn is muscle memory. So we start to associate things with certain things. We say, oh, these people are like this. And even being Middle Eastern, this country in 9-11, you know, we were called terrorists left and right. And people thought that was fine. And, you know, we were demonized. And I think that, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement, I always say it's like if a bunch of houses are on fire, you're going to water only the houses that are on fire. You're not going to go to every house in the neighborhood and pour water on it. So I think when people say all lives matter, it's coming from a place of ignorance. It's ca- like you said, it's I coming had from a place good of one. It's not
0: quite think, the same, but, but it builds yeah. a, a metaphor that I think is similar to the houses on fire. Is If a, if a woman mm-hmm. loses her son and she's, she's speaking at his funeral uh, and she's mm-hmm. giving a eulogy and, and, and remembering her son, if another mother comes to this age, takes the mic away from her and says, actually, um, all kids mm-hmm. matter. Ugh. yeah, girl, but you yeah. know, this, uh, wow. this child is dead, you know? And, and so we, the, un, the, understanding, that's an
1: example, Jay. Yeah, wow. but the understanding that's is we that.
0: all grew up when you're kids, you don't, you don't know bias. You don't know racism. You can see kids. They, they're, mm-hmm. they're so innocent and they're pure and they hug and love everybody. And they play with anyone. If you, if, if left, you know, mm-hmm. uh, without this kind of hatred being taught to them, um, And by the way, when I use the word hatred, I don't mean overt. Like I think there's a lot of people who have people in their lives that they love and care about who are other. And at this moment, they are learning how maybe they could do better to support the people they actually care about. And I think there's a lot of fear about the growth that we all as a global society have to experience to get to a place where all lives matter.
1: Absolutely. And what you're saying is really key because I think a lot of people I, I heard, um, you know, Patrice, who who is the, the creator of Black Lives Matter, said sometimes racism is not always like a hood and they're burning a cross on your back on your lawn. It's not that extreme. Sometimes it's just microaggressions and it's little comments of like, oh, why are you with that person? Like when I dated an Ethiopian man, a lot of black men would say, oh, I know why you're with him. Those are uh, yes, yes. microaggressions. Those are those are not cool. Those are not funny. Um, or you know, if you're on Grinder, you see it, and a lot of queer men we try to speak up on this topic. No blacks, no femmes, no Asians. I mean, those are all racial yeah, things and, that I yeah, hope I that people, people now realize. Because
0: um cool. two years ago, Grinder did mm-hmm. a campaign. I was part of it. Uh, it was called Kinder Grinder. Um, and it was talking yes. was talking about this very issue. And just recently, uh Grindr got uh, rid of the um the filter where you can filter out ethnic um yeah uh-huh. and i and, and in case that you're mm-hmm. like well why it's a you know it's a whole other conversation about what uh sexual preference versus sexual racism um you know which which we can spend hours on that um but I think at the end of the day I think it's about listening to people you listen I live in Los Angeles and the first time that I really uh felt overt racism in in the queer community was I remember being uh, like at a bar one night and this guy we were dancing Mm -hmm. back in the days when we used to go to bars to dance uh I can't remember I I mean (laughs) I remember literally Amir this is this is how old I am when it was like if you'd had a bad day I'd be like oh my god Amir forget him we're gonna go dancing. Like, I can't remember. Last one, like, <laughs> um, we're dancing. And How this guy comes up to me. He's cute. I'm cute. You know, I'm feeling cute about my life. I'm on my young, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in my mid 20s. I'm doing my thing in LA yeah. and I'm feeling cute. And he's like, You're pretty hot. I was like, Thanks. And he's like, For a Latin guy. I was like, Like meaning I'm not normally attracted to, but you're the exception. And, and, and I think, you know, while I think Uh. he thought he was saying something positive, I don't think he really understood the implication of what that meant. Um, And I think that when, as, Mm -hmm. as these subsects of different, um, um, Marginalized communities start coming together. It's not. Uh, it's not without bias within these communities. You know, we just had a, a, tr- a trans woman that was be- mm-hmm. well. Trans women are, are, are especially black trans women are being murdered exponentially all the time mm-hmm. in this country. Um, but I feel like even within the African community, uh, African American community, uh, black trans women are having to speak up and say, "Hey, we are also black, uh, and we are impacted." And mm-hmm. so your transphobia uh, is not helpful to this movement at all. Um, and so if you think within the LGBT plus community that is accepting loving space that we are um that we do not have racial biases that is just not true um you know this community Mm -hmm. is like every other community and there are all kinds of bias within these subset communities of of marginalized people themselves so um the work is still to be done and and i and i commend those who are speaking out, letting their voice be heard in effective ways that are that are trying to educate. And I think, you know, you know I don't think this is a, a, I think black people have fought so long and so hard and have been repeating the same thing over and over again. It's been falling on deaf ears. And I think it's at this moment in history, the job of those who are non-black to speak up and to stand together and, and in solidarity with our, our black family.
1: Absolutely. And to be an ally that we all really need. And I think what I say to people who say you're cute, just stop there. You don't have to say you're yeah, cute for a Middle I'll Eastern for a Latin. I'll, I'll take it forty, I'll take it. Just stop at your cue Jay, that was wonderful And I'm happy that we were able to unpack that Let's play a quick game before I let you go Um, I wanted to ask you um, So you've been involved in so many amazing Broadway shows If you had to do a show every night For the rest of your life Which show are you doing?
0: (sighs) Oh Um, I still have vivid dreams of being in rent. Granted, it's a little surrounding, like anxious times in my life. I always have a dream that I'm going back to rent. I need to go on as angel and, Mm -hmm. um, no one will help me find my mic. I can't find my mic. The show is going, the music is going. And I'm, so that's like, I think there's a part of me that like always will always have, um, um, Memories of just feeling how impactful And, and important that show is um, But at this present moment In, in my life as an adult uh, Honestly anything Lynn manuel Miranda Is connected to um, I want to do Hamilton so bad, not just because of where we are today as a global society, but because I feel like the messaging of that show is so incredibly important. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I just feel like if that was going to be a show that I'd have to do, I've been really blessed and fortunate to be a part of projects that really. Um, created change. And for me, in terms of what's happening on Broadway now that I would be viable for, um, you know, Hamilton is something that at some point, somewhere, I do hope I get to be a part of.
1: Me too. I would love to see that. Um, yeah, I would love to see that. That would be wonderful. Um so from your queer eye, you know, cast from the boys of queer eye, who are you taking on a deserted island? I with you?
0: would say Tom Felicia. He is the interior okay. designer guy, but he is the he's the outdoorsman. Mm-hmm. Uh he has a lake house, so he's like really outdoorsy, knows how to fix everything. I bet you he could start fire and make a martini at the same time. <laughs> We'd have a great time on the island. And frankly, I have a low-key crush on him.
1: Oh, cute. Yeah, he's adorable. And I loved his, you know, him and Carson. Yeah, the show, which was get a fun. room. Um, <laughs> I love that. Um, I just one last thing I wanted to ask you was for people who are feeling, you know, being, you know, a person of color in this industry can be very hard. Sometimes people are shutting you down. What's your advice to people who are? trying to kind of do something different and get into this industry
0: going back to our previous conversation about the art that's coming out of this pandemic where people are home uh take your pain and turn it into power put your words on the page you know you um express yourself um, and document it um this way uh, you can be part of that change and contribute to the kind of content you want to see look lin-manuel miranda is a great example someone who um you know in my opinion didn't see uh his stories being told and he you know he created in the heights and um which i thankfully mm-hmm. got to do as well um in san diego um and it was a thought piece about um mm-hmm. a primarily latinx community living in washington heights and um it, for me it was one of those times in my life where i felt seen heard and i felt like uh you know, I was a part of something great. And had he not taken that time, uh, i can't even imagine the number of years he worked on that piece, um, to put it down. Um, the opportunity may never have come. And so if you were feeling like there isn't room for you or there isn't a path or there isn't the kind of, uh, change you want to see, yes, continue to push the producers, continue to push your friends who are content creators, continue to go to events where artists are coming together, uh, celebrating diversity, whether it is workshops, uh, whether it is, uh, Uh, going to your friends play reading for a new piece that they're doing, supporting them in that space, uh, going to, you know, musical events that uh, focus on celebrating uh, all the differences that we are in a beautiful way. Continue to be creative and let your voice be heard. And don't think that you need to have Mm -hmm. some crazy degree uh, in music uh, history or or music composition uh, to be uh, someone who creates great things for the stage, uh, for television, or our new medium uh, of uh, entertainment, the you know, the internet or any kind of social media um, all creativity um, that affects positive change is a good thing. And your story matters regardless of you, if you're given a big mic or a small mic in my career, I've had opportunities mm-hmm. where the stage has been big and I've had opportunities where I was really proud of the work and the stage was small. Um, it doesn't matter um, mm-hmm. uh, the size of the platform or the stage, keep telling your stories and keep pushing uh, for your visibility to grab ears and attention mm-hmm. and open hearts and, minds because while there may not be a path for you as you see it, the more you continue to put out, uh, put great content out, people see that. Someone used to tell me work begets other work. And I personally that doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean a booking. That means putting the work in, documenting it and putting it into the ether so much as just singing a verse and a lyric of something that matters mm-hmm. to you, putting it in your story on Instagram or wherever you see fit. Don't silence yourself because you don't see room for yourself in entertainment
1: absolutely and I love that and I I love the way you said it because it's so true you have to create that space for yourself and um, that definitely resonates I think with a lot of people who are listening um Jay just to wrap up I just wanted to know what's next for Jay Rodriguez well you know
0: as many other people the future is a little bit unknown for me but next today is uh you yeah. know I, well I will say this I I have really formed a great bond with the folks on my Facebook page which is um, Jay Rodriguez fan page it's got the blue check mark on uh, Facebook uh, I go live uh, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Monday through Saturday. I give everyone a Sunday off. Um, and then on Thursdays, I do um, mm-hmm. basically concerts. That's that's kind of what I've been doing. And, and I make them more conversation. But um, what's been really great for me in that it's not just challenging myself as a performer, but it's been able – being able to – have conversations have entertainment have songs um, with people all over the globe and so I invite you if you're listening to this to join me there um, I move it to uh, Instagram around 630 um, you know to be honest with everything that's happening um, in this climate I don't know how much uh, you know I feel like performing but I will bring you back to 2001 when I was doing rent and 9/11 happened on a Tuesday we obviously were dark that day we were frightened we didn't know uh, what would happen with our in regards to our safety our careers, our bank accounts, mm-hmm. you know, would we even have Broadway again? Mm-hmm. Uh, the shows were dark Wednesday. We came back to work on a Thursday and it was scary. We had about 30 people in a 1200 seat theater. Um, and the producers came to us and they said, in times of crisis, in, uh, historically, it has been the performer's job to uplift and uh, bring some semblance of joy for audiences. Um, even if it's just for two and a half hours to help them, you um, remember what it feels like to experience joy. And for me, uh, that's that's kind of how I see my job right now. Um, hopefully in the future, um, there'll be more uh, things, you know, including I did an HBO miniseries that uh, only unfortunately got uh, two uh, parts of their four-part uh, documentation done, but it's uh, mm-hmm. called Equal. And it's about unsung queer heroes of the Ooh. 1960s. Now, I don't know when that'll um, make it to air, but it'll be on HBO mm-hmm. Max uh, with Legendary. And for me, I just, I feel like I don't know what the, what's next for me in the future, but I do know that I'm going to stay vocal. I'm going to stay active on my socials and continue to connect the same way I would if I was live and in person at a cabaret house, uh, at a nightclub or in a Broadway theater.
1: Fabulous. And I think it's just about, you know, I had a mentor once that said, whether you're on Madison Square Garden or in your bedroom, you have to perform with the same gusto. And I see you doing that. So I applaud that. And I really appreciate it. And I see you. And I've had such a great time with you. Thank you again, uh, Jay Rodriguez. So many accolades, and we had such a great conversation. Um, This has been the Take On. Uh, We'll be here every week taking on Broadway, taking on racial issues and queer issues, and really whatever else comes to my mind. I'm Amir Yasai, and thanks again, Jay Rodriguez. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Take On. The Take On is produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Kyle Moore, and is a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. You can find out more about me and The Take On at vpnfm backslash thetakeon. And on my Instagram, of course, at amiryas underscore. Don't forget the underscore. Make sure to subscribe and rate The Take On wherever you stream your podcast, and keep tuning in for more amazing guests. I do my best to bring you guests all the way from Broadway through to Hollywood, honey. This is The Take On with Amir Yesai.